Hello, welcome back to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. I am Jennifer Apple, she, her, and I am so grateful that you are back here joining us. This week's episode is really important to me and the ethos of EAC. It is a huge reason why EAC was started to begin with, and that is the conversation around mental health. I am so grateful that Dr. Elisa Hurwitz took the time to talk to us about this conversation from a therapist's perspective and one who happens to be directly in relationship to us artists with her Instagram, Dr. Drama. We talk about an artist's identity, empathy, the therapeutic power of dogs, which warms my heart, listening, emotions as information, and Dr. Hurwitz shares helpful tools and resources around finding a therapist, the questions to ask, specifically for those in the LGBTQIA community. Now, this episode does have a longer content warning list, not because we spend time within each of these topics, but because we want to empower you to know what this episode at least entails before getting into it. We talk about mental health, capitalism, we touch on generational trauma, racism, transphobia, activism, therapy, and the meaning of carnival geek in relation to addiction and abuse. With that said, this episode is an important one, and I hope a helpful one too. Enjoy. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to this week's episode of the Empowered Artist Collective podcast. I am here with a very special guest who has been on a panel of ours in the past, and um, I also give both her mom and her daughter voice lessons. <laughs> I'm a sandwich somehow in, in that yeah, equation. Yeah. I know. So I I feel like at this point you're a friend, you're yeah. a confidant, you're also yeah. just like an incredible human being, but also somebody who has been with EAC for a bit. And so I'm yeah. so, so grateful that you are here. Without further ado, I'm not going to introduce you myself. I'm going to throw it over your way. Who are you, my dear? <laughs> I love this because sometimes I feel like introducing like somebody else introducing you is just like is just an ego feed you oh, know yeah. like and I, and I mean that in the psychological sense and we all have ego and yeah. we all need it fed but you can seek it being overfed when it when it feels empty right and yeah. so I think I love that too because then I can define myself right exactly. like what's important yeah right and also like you can feed your own ego like please stroke your own ego in this space like tell right. us all the great things about you like that is yeah. what I want to know yeah so. but like how I you know our own personality narratives like how do I introduce myself you know what what are yeah. the parts of myself that are that are kind of most salient to me um you know anyway I'm I'm Dr. Elisa Hurwitz um I'm a psychologist um you know, pertinent to this conversation. I also, um, on the social media um, platforms and Dr. Drama, um, and talking about the intersection of psychology and theater. Um, and uh, I am also uh, a mother, a sister, an aunt, um, a daughter, um, and uh, some, and a lover of, of uh, live performance. Um, and I'm very happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Ugh. Also a lover of, of animals and dogs. Can we just talk about this for a moment? How yes. we met? Yes. <laughs> Wait, did we meet through the dogs? I mean, well, we ha I feel we didn't meet through the dogs. We met through yeah. your lives that were happening over the yes, pandemic. Yes, that's right. Like, yeah. So talk about that, and then we can talk about our conversation that happened from there because it was <laughs> lovely. I uh, yes. If I know, I don't know much in this life. I, I, you know, I don't know much in this life. I know a few things, sort of. Well, I know psychology. 
I, 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 I sort of know theater and I, and I sort of know dogs, especially rescue pit bulls. We will get to that. Um, so yeah, uh, during the pandemic, so I've been doing doctor drama for going on five years. Um, because I just, I had a passion for theater and um, felt like I had something to offer uh, t uh, around conver conversations related to mental health um, through that pop culture lens, um, because I, I think it's very, very important to destigmatize conversations around mental health. Mm -hmm. um, when I say mental health, I mean the entire spectrum, not just mental illness, but including mental illness. Yeah. And um, and so, so when I started it, um, you know, it's, it, it's, it's evolved into many different things and kind of become what it, what it needs to be At, when the pandemic began and we all started being quarantined. Um, and I started working from home, um, remotely for 54 weeks. Um, uh, and, and I, I didn't have a commute anymore. And, and I felt there was, you know, there obviously was a need, right. Mental health. Mm -hmm. um, need, you know, really bubbling to the surface and, uh, people want to have these conversations more, excuse me. So I started hosting a, a, a um, series on Instagram called musicals and mental health. Um, that was really just conversations about mental health with people in the theater. Um, and it was, um, wonderful, um, and successful in the way that people were very engaged, mm -hmm. um, and were tuning in and were really, uh, uh, you know, participating in, the, in these conversations. And, um, and, and, and so that that's how we met. That's how yeah. we met. We connected um, because of that series. And yeah. Jennifer was a guest of my series. And we had a, a wonderful, meaningful conversation. Which also included our dogs. That's and that's kind of doubling back <laughs> to where I was like, I love our dogs, because mm -hmm. I brought Walter, oh, yes. my rescue pup. And was, mm -hmm. was it Louie? Was Louie mm -hmm. the one who was there? Yeah, I think so. Mm -hmm. And they just, I mean, I mean, we pretended that they understood that they both were on this conversation, right. but like That's we right. both at least knew that they were there. Yes. Um, just very present. It was just like a dog fest in conversation also about mental health, which was very apropos for two rescue dogs in the space with us. Yeah. Just That's right. We talked about like the therapeutic power, like legit therapeutic power yeah. of, of dogs and, yeah. um, <laughs> and Louis, Louis made his appearances on the series many times I love and it. it was wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> Louis is such a doll. I mean, I could talk. I mean, honestly, we can make this whole entire episode about dogs. <laughs> Truly, my heart would be very happy about it. Yeah. I know I wonder about the listener being like, but what about cats? What about bunnies? And be like, yes. I have no problem with any of that. Just yeah, I, no. I know dogs quite well. Um, <laughs> but Louis, oh my God, just a little ball of love. And by yes. little, I mean large. Yes, just... yes. Let's define little, little being 50 pounds <laughs> of muscle. <laughs> but he's just, he's, people look at him and think he looks intimidating because he has the the uh, stereotypical, uh, you know, pit bull type dog features. Yeah. Um, you know, the, the, the muscly cheeks and the thick neck and um, the kind of more boxy body. Um, and uh, all he is, is like, is a ball of lo goofy love. He yeah. is a goofball he's a clown um he and he he is such a love that he will start kissing you before he even gets to you like his oh. liquor starts going you know as he approaches you and close is not close enough for him he's he's it's very typical you know um pitbull type dog uh, uh temperament um yeah. where he's just very attached very socially motivated yeah. um very loving oh 
the best. Dogs the, are the best. best. So if we hear dogs in the background during this episode, y'all just know that this is they're always welcome in this space. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, I'm curious. Just tell tell the listener um, a little bit more about, I guess, the work that you do within your practice, and mm-hmm. then perhaps the way in which that um, has transferred over into. Um, the theater land. Cause I feel like so many of us artists actually know you through that rather than perhaps what you do in your own private practice. Sure. Yeah. So, um, in my practice, I mean, I'm just, um, Louis, Louis is there yep. chiming. There we go. He, he we must love. see a squirrel or something. <laughs> well, he's like, I hear you talking about me and I want to be a part of the conversation. <laughs> Why are you leaving me out? He's so funny. Cause if he sees, a, he sees an animal outside, yeah. he will bark like heck at them. And those animals know, the animals outside, they know that he can't get to them, that yeah. double pane glass. But if, if he ever gets close enough to them, then there's not glass between, he's scared. He's legit oh, scared. Oh, interesting. Mm-hmm. Interesting. He's a big baby. Um, yeah, so my, 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 my day job, uh, you know, uh, you know, I general, I'm a generalist, but also have specialties in working with the autism population, um, trauma and um in uh, uh gender identity um and that those three uh specialties are all really important to me especially working with our local um trans non-binary gender non-conforming population because there is such a um such a need mm-hmm. um for practitioners who actually do specialize um in gender identity and um like literally any one less person doing that work in the area is you know is less access uh, for people. Whereas, you know, if somebody's depressed, you can see, you, you can see most, you know, people like most people, most, most clinical psychologists can see depression, can see anxiety, can see grief, you know, um, even though you can specialize in those areas, but they're all kind of part of being a generalist and um, gender identity. Um, Actually, active harm can be done um, by people who are at least versed in, um, in how, and the language to use and how mm-hmm. to, you know, to not be causing harm when there's so much trauma and harm caused around interaction with the medical community in the first place. Right. Um, so that work is especially important to me because um, it is consistent with my values to be um, to be part of the solution of mm-hmm. uh, social justice and equity. Um, and I think that's one of the, uh, you know, uh, equality issues of our time, you know, civil rights issues of our time. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and that, you know, uh, you were asking about like how, how that translated into the theater work. Yeah. Like yeah. how did you find yourself as, you know, you're on panels all over the place and obviously people know you in the community as, you know, Dr. Drama, mm-hmm. like on Instagram, but mm-hmm. generally like, oh yes, this, you know, licensed professional is like in our worlds, you know, moving around and doing what they do. So how have you found, like, how was that transition into the community? How was that made? And then also Mm. how is the work that you do, I guess, private practice informed and vice versa? Mm. Yeah. So the, hmm, you know, it really started, it really started with the, the, with the the kind of a moment of inspiration. It really just Mm. was kind of an epiphany that I had to do that to, you know, oh, just, you know, bring your, your professional knowledge to, to your passion. Um, and, you know, people, sometimes people will ask, you know, newer professionals or aspiring professionals, well, how did, how, um, how did you get this job? Meaning Dr. Drama. Yeah. And, you know, t- I made two points about that. One is that um, I made, I, I made it up myself. <laughs> I made it up myself. 
Um, and anybody can do that. Um, I had I had the bandwidth and the passion for it. So I, I just created it myself, number one. Number two, it's not really a job. Um, I do sometimes do things that I get that I get paid for, but most of what I do is is an offering. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I believe I believe in this idea that you have to give it away to keep it. If you have it, not to give away stuff you don't have. I don't mean that. Um, but if you have it, you have to give it away to keep it. And so if I have privilege and I have knowledge and I have expertise and yes, I need to make a living, you know, to, mm-hmm. and, and that that's fair to myself. And I also need to, to find opportunities to give it away. And so this is really my, my offering. It's a way to bring, like I was saying before, bring conversations about mental health, um, to this pop, you know, this piece of pop culture. And that's such an easier in. You know, if you just go, I want to talk about mental health. It's not the same as, um, let's talk about how mental health is, uh, is, is shown in, you know, the musical Dear Evan Hansen, or let's talk about like, what's going on Mm -hmm. with Alexander Hamilton? Like, why is he running out of time, writing like he's running out of time? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, or let's talk about, you know, uh, uh, how, um, you know, how generational trauma impacts people's psychology in a show like The Color Purple, um. Or how, you know, connecting with a common humanity, um, you know, uh, uh, matters to our, to our sense of connection in a show like The Band's Visit. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that's such an easier sell, you know, because people are already passionate about mental health. I mean, sorry, about musicals, uh, whereas it's, it's more approachable, right? It's more approachable. Um, so, yeah, so just host, you know, hosting conversations. Um, I've consulted with shows about their mental health content um, to help make sure the representations are, are accurate mm-hmm. and are, are not causing harm and are, and are um, you know, kind of, but also fitting into what the story that they need to tell, right? Because mm-hmm. it's not a documentary. <laughs> Theater's not a documentary. Um, uh, writing pieces to hopefully offer some insight into the art that we're consuming. Um, uh, I've been a presence at, you know, events like Broadway Con. I love doing that. Um, last year was, uh, was not live and it was still good, but like being there in person yeah. is so awesome. Um, so I'm looking forward to July. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, again, it's just, it's, it's an offering. It's just, mm-hmm. it's just to, to give it away to keep it. Yeah, I love that phrasing of that so very much too. And also just knowing that, yeah, if your cup is empty, then you can't give from an empty cup. You know, just no. like a different way of phrasing that kind of thing. But mm. um, I think that's it's something that I try, I mean, that's why this whole thing exists, right? Which is like to serve, you yeah. know, and it can't be from a place of um selfishness. It has to be from just like this is something and I have the capacity to give of myself or from others through whatever and let me try to do that so mm-hmm. i really i i feel that and so thank you for doing that on behalf of the community mm-hmm. i'll speak of i'm not i can only speak on behalf of myself but on behalf of myself because of the community thank you yeah. for what you've brought thus far well i mean like let's get into it then yeah. um we'll talk broader and then maybe we'll get we'll get more specific in your practice thus far or interacting with artists, you know, over the various lives that you had done or just generally, what have you been finding are some common, again, everybody's an individual, but common things or themes that you are feeling is impacting 
artists and mm. humans at the moment mm -hmm. in the mental health and wellness space? Mm -hmm. I feel like we all know the answer, but I just want to hear it from you. <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's kind of two, I have two lanes of thought. One is that like kind of before the now, meaning mm -hmm. like post pandemic world, not that the pandemic's over, but post like the beginning of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, like there was life before and life after. Um, something that's very interesting, um, I think about kind of the subset of individuals of people who, who are theater actors. Research has shown us that theater actors tend to be higher on measurements of empathy. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can see, you, you know, I think that's a pretty obvious kind of connection to how that that is attractive, both attractive to people who be, to become actors, right? As a way to kind of try to like master that, yeah. Um, and and also making making folks more vulnerable, mm -hmm. um, you know, to uh, you know, taking it home or to just you know, absorbing so much just from the world in general, right? So then the pandemic happened, and the themes were um, were absolutely like insecurity, right? Because your you know the community's livelihood was just absolutely taken away. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, like there was 0% going on for a time. Correct. Yeah. Um, I mean, I can yeah. speak on behalf of myself, like over 18 months, like it was yeah. a substantial amount of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's really stressful. Um, financial stress is, is a, is a considerable, um, considerable, uh, stressor. Mm -hmm. Um, and then also identity. Who am I, if I'm not acting, mm. am I an actor? If I'm not an actor, who, what am I? Who am I? Right. Because that, especially with that grind and hustle mentality that's so necessary from what I understand, you know, to kind of making it, um, you know, in the industry, the theater industry that, you know, the, like, if you're not like always, you know, auditioning and always work, you know, doing a reading or, you know, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, do, doing this audition, you know, audition, 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 work, 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 then who, who, who are you? Um, and I, and that was a theme that came up in a lot of the conversations. Mm, yeah. I, I've said this so much when I coach and actually with NEAC for a bunch of our cohorts, you know, around this idea of identity, but you just said it so succinctly. Um, but you know, this idea that you are an artist, whether you are working or not. And I believe that in my core, I really do. It's just a part of who you are and the way in which you interact in the world. It's through a creative, artistic, empathetic lens. It just is what it is. And society, frankly, has taught us that your artist identity is defined by work, is mm. defined by the roles that you get and the jobs that you book. And therefore, this this relationship that we have to the work, mm. as in like the grind of the work rather than like the doing of the creating of the work, is such a vastly different way of understanding one's artistic identity. Mm and how um, how frustrating it is mm. to really be you know told from the outside world that you are that your artistry or your artist self is somehow diminished if you aren't doing the thing mm -hmm. in what somebody else deems to be a quote unquote successful production say <laughs> rather than like oh no i'm at home and i'm writing or i'm at home yeah. and i'm meditating so that I can like be grounded as a human being for when the job shows up and then I'm actually centered. I'm, you know, 
creating with a friend. I'm simply like walking outside in nature and consuming the world around me so I can better tell stories about human behavior, right? Like all of those things are necessary to being an artist. And so this idea that our, our artistry is linked to our jobs, you know, I, I, I yeah. feel that because it happened so abruptly and on yeah. such a drastic scale for so, so many of us in this industry during this time. And yet there is something really wonderful about now recognizing or really affirming how just because we lost the jobs for a solid chunk of time doesn't take away from the fact that I'm still an artist mm -hmm. very much in my core. Mm -hmm. But yes, the reckoning of that when it is all stripped away is, is traumatic and um, yeah. intense. And then to also see reflected back or to experience that reflected back from society that there was such a lack of valuing the service mm -hmm. that you provide as an yep. actor, right? Because even on a um, legislative and, and, you know, state and city level, there was not um, really consideration given to, to what actors do and how that's different from other, yep. other industries. And, and the fact that theater is the number one uh, uh, tourist destination yep. in the city, in the, in the city, you know, you know, which just boggled my mind that like, how can you, if, if you're a capitalist society, yeah. how, how can you not value the thing that's, that's bringing in the most? Oh, it's a multi-billion dollar industry. Yeah. Just Broadway. We're talking just Broadway alone, like multi-billion dollar industry, and then including the restaurants and the tourism and everything yeah. around it makes more money like on the bills than yeah. sports do <laughs> just yeah. like it is financially lucrative. And yeah, yeah. the lack, the lack of any form of, um, help and assistance. Truly, like a bunch of us yeah. over the pandemic 2020, when we were sitting and doing nothing, were multiple times a week. We had, I mean, we created a little solid group of us. We were calling um, senators across the country wow. almost daily for pandemic relief for that exact reason. It's like, this is, you were, I don't understand conceptually if we are living in a capitalist society, right. this is, you are, you are not assisting the thing that is making you money. Like if we just yeah. forget, even talk about the humans that this is affecting, like, right. aren't right. you, aren't you concerned about the fact that the money isn't coming in? Like, let's yeah. help that happen for you, selfish person who wants the money. Like, right, right. Even if we're speaking your language, yeah, like this I, doesn't equate. Correct. I'm not even talking about myself and my own personhood right. and how much it's traumatic for me. I'm talking about let's make you money back. Let's right. make you some money back. Let's get some bills going through so that we can make you money. And yeah. that's still not working. And also, let's remember, <laughs> what were people doing when they were sitting at home? They were consuming art. Okay. They were watching TV. 100%. They were listening to musicals on their on their you know, uh, headphones, they were playing guitar, they were learning a new instrument, they were reading books, they were consuming poetry, like, all of these things are art. And so the, the, the hypocrisy, frankly, I can go on about this forever. But like the hypocrisy no, no. around the fact that like, what were people doing to get through the time was art, they were taking yeah. in receiving or giving and creating of art. So how is that not? Mm hmm? Yeah. <laughs> I feel I feel angry about that with you. Um, I, I and and then we bring it to the human level. I think about you know, do we see performers as? I just I just 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 watched that movie Nightmare Alley, Guillermo del Toro's mo mm -hmm. new movie. It's a remake of a 1943 film. I think anyway. I love his stuff. They're so visually rich, and and one of the kind of. Uh, uh, 
thematic pieces um, uh, was this idea of a carnival geek. I'd never heard the term used that way, but I guess that's the origin of this term geek, the word geek, mm. was a person who was usually down on their luck. This is true. Down on their luck, uh, you, maybe an alcoholic or an addict. And the the the, uh, the person who ran the carnival would would say, well, I can give you, you know, I can give you a, a job, you know, here's, here, you know, here you need a drink. And they would lace it with, uh, with opium and get them hooked. And then they would get the, the show, the, the carnival geek was somebody who would bite the head off of chickens. Wait, what? In front of, <laughs> in front of an audience. And they would, but they would get them to act in these ways that was very dehumanizing and, and cruel. This is the meaning of that, geek? Yes, <laughs> this is crazy. But this is what I, sorry, I'm getting. But I actually have a point about that. <laughs> Believe it or not, um, and and they would do this very dehumanizing act and and an abusive act to the animal um, in front of an audience, a paying audience, um, and they would be you know basically hooked. Now they'd be hooked on the on the on the drugs, and you know, and this is the only way they could feed their habit. Oh my you God. know, you got to do this thing. And I just think that's an extreme visual of what this is, but it's like, are we seeing performers as they're just to entertain us or are they, or are performers doing a service? And this is really what I believe. I think performers and tell me if you see it differently are kind of like like a rabbi, like a rabbi is, is engaged in an act of service mm -hmm. for, for the community. Um, they're not up there to like, and they're not up there just to, just to serve us. And then, so what if it, if it incapacitates them, uh, to their core, right. Um, they are, they are, they are doing something for the community and the community needs to give back to them and hold them up because they're doing something that we can't do, right? right. So you on that stage are, are moving us in ways, you know, I think about a show like The Band's Visit, which is incredibly moving to, you know, just connecting us to what makes us human and, you know, in human connection. And that you're bringing us through that story in a way that I can't, right? right? Um, and like the, the, that it's not that like, well, I paid you, so we're mm. good, no. I have gratitude that you did that because I can't do this for myself. It's a mitzvah. Yeah, which for those listening is a good deed mm -hmm. in uh, Hebrew um, or for Judaism. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely, obviously, I, I, I believe deeply in that for both of those things that you discussed. But um, where a vessel through which stories get told or... Uh, you know, through which people can see their own human behavior or to tell stories about humans, you know, for me, at least that's the art that I am interested in telling and the stories that I'm personally interested in telling. Um, and I think also the, the art that speaks to my heart when I consume it are, you know, yes, performers and um, artists who are up there as vulnerable as they possibly can be showing a story so that I can then see myself reflected in them or the world reflected through them that I can then go back and um, reflect on my own life and my interactions around the world around me and seeing how and if I need to adjust my own behavior accordingly to be more empathetic and to, to continue learning and growing as a person. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, I would agree with you. That is, that is the in my, my mind, the ideal about hmm. artists, I think there, you know, there are definitely some, 
you know, we live in a capitalist society. So there is some art that is created that is perhaps a bit more on the consumer basis. And, Mm -hmm. you know, who's to say that some people aren't drawn perhaps to the thing that is to make the paycheck. And then it is a little bit more of, um, I need to do this in order to just make, make this happen rather than the integrity around it, which honestly do what you need to do to survive in this world. (laughs) Truly, If you need to take that job, take that job, do what you need to do for yourself. Um, but at least the art that I, I want to be consuming. Mm -hmm. Yes. I would agree with you that that is, that is my job is to tell those stories as human. Yeah. I just, I wish audience members, I wish that people consuming that art, that we would just reframe how we think about what is, Mm -hmm. what we're paying for. Right. You know, yeah. we're not, we're not paying. I just don't think of it as like, oh, I'm paying you to be entertained. Like, no. dance. I'm thinking of like, I'm paying for my access to this, to this, to this act of service, to this ritual mm. um, and to the storytelling that matters, you know, to me spiritually. And whether that's something that is, that is more, you know, just entertaining and connects me to my humanity because I'm laughing and smiling mm-hmm. or it's making me really think and ponder and I'm, you know, moved in, 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 in different kinds of ways, yeah. but I'm like, I'm paying for the access and the expertise that of the, this act of service. Ugh, ugh, I love that. <laughs> I love that. So we're going to make this, yeah, this is just like, Hey, y'all take this <laughs> phrasing and throw it to all your friends. Like, this yeah. is why you need to support theater, not because yeah. you think you're going to be entertained, but for this exact reason. Yeah. Um, <laughs> ugh, that's so beautifully tied together in a little beautiful bow and Oh, yes, yes, yes. Um, Well, I guess my next question then is, you know, veering a little bit off of theater as the art and more towards the human, um, you know, mental health and wellness has, it has so much validity, but it's also become a buzzword Mm. or a buzz phrase, I'd say around like, well, are you taking care of your mental health and wellness? Right? How do you combat that? Let's start there. Yes. Oof, it's so hard. It makes me think about like how companies have, um, you know, will will take advantage of, will capitalize on right. like Black History Month. You know, it's like, well, what are you doing all the eleven months of the year to, you know, to to support anti-racism? Right. You know, to actively fight racism. Uh, you know, or like Pride Month, like you know. You go into you know a big box store right. in June now, and it's great. Like the visibility is great, but it's like, but you're making money, right? Off of queer blood, sweat, and tears, right? Um, so it's yeah, it's hard. You know, um, the it's like this double-edged sword because like the awareness is great, right? Like this, the fact that the terminology or just the conversations are happening more mm-hmm. is positive, um, but then there it there can be harm done by just, yeah, like, you know, I think in, internally in companies, if they say, well, you know, we, we really value self-care, but then they don't value it in the way, again, that the that capitalism, right. that, you know, translating that into capitalist language, what, what are you doing to financially support your employees to mm-hmm. engage in self-care? Because that's, that is your currency right. in a capitalist society. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. I mean, you, answer, you answered it. You did yes, answer it. I'm just thinking I, I am without going into it, just dealing with that myself at work um, and really challenging that in, in my workplace. And uh, um, because if you don't 
but if you just say it and don't do anything to back it up, it's just lip service. Right. Yeah. Well then going a step further, how, how, for those who are say newer into actually getting mental health, um, assistance resources, um, unpacking in whatever capacity they need to, um, what are some things that you have found are wonderful beginning steps for those individuals mm. who are like ready to go down that path for themselves? Yeah, I think, um, I, you know, the thing that, that comes to mind right away is space, like creating space to be present with yourself because mm -hmm. We tend to, and I, and I know this is true with, with actors because of, because you have to hustle so much is like, you, you know, we were saying earlier, like taking that time to pause and meditate, right. Or mm -hmm. excuse me, um, to, um, to just be quiet for a few minutes in the morning to connect with what are your, what are your values? What are you, you know, what do you what the intentions do you have today? Again, these are like buzzwords, but like really they have meaning. Mm -hmm. um, what, what is, what are you anxious about? You know, what are you feeling right now? Uh, Cause when we just go, 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 um, then we really deny ourselves um, connection with, with our emotions and our emotions are information. Right. They are always information. Um, you know, I say this uh, in therapy room, all the time that emotions aren't good or bad. Right. You know, we kind of think of like, oh, anger's bad and like happiness is good. No, they're all information. They they might feel better or worse, but there are no such thing as good or bad emotions. And there are no there is no such thing as right or wrong feelings. Right. Feelings just are. And they they tell us stuff that we need to know. So we got to listen to them. And I think that's definitely something that uh that the pandemic has really shown us. Because mm -hmm. like at the especially at the beginning we were forced to pause. And then this roller coaster of emotions came, right? And then this roller coaster of events came. Um, and we were kind of forced to sit with ourselves in a way that we don't usually right. in a in a capitalist society. Um, and so, you know, the time, you could argue that time is money, but like, the time is free, right? You don't mm -hmm. have to pay for that. Um, and there are apps or there are apps for meditation, you know, with, because um, that's a practice. And so guidance is, is absolutely helpful with it. Um, I, you know, that's a great start. Great. What about somebody who is wanting to find themselves a therapist in some capacity? I mean, obviously there's many different schools of thought and therapists mm -hmm. and whatever. How does one go down the major rabbit hole of finding a therapist and or knowing what type of therapy one actually needs. I know this is like an overwhelming topic, so feel free to <laughs> take this as you may. Yeah, it's 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 intimidating. Um I think like getting anything with healthcare. I just I just went to like get an eye um check for the first time in maybe I don't know since I was a kid and it was just mm. like routine screening. Because I'm like, oh, I'm 42. Like, probably should just like get my eyes checked, like eye strain with all the computer yeah. stuff. I was like, where do you even start, <laughs> right? Yeah. And this is like not that intimate. I mean, yeah. they get really close to your face, but <laughs> and therapy is really intimate, you know. And so, it's it's hard to know where to start. I mean, on a practical level, you know, if you do have health insurance, you know, finding somebody, you know, who uh, who takes your health insurance is kind of a logistical start. Um, but, you know, the advice that I always give to people is um, 
above above and beyond any other factor that goodness of fit between therapists and, and patient or therapist and client, whatever terminology you prefer, um, is, is the greatest predictive factor of treatment outcome. Mm-hmm. So the type of treatment you need, the theoretical model that you need, um, the, if, you know, uh, years of, of experience, like none of that matters as much as feeling like you found somebody who puts with you. Mm. Um, and so it's okay to keep trying, you know, and find somebody who fit, not somebody who tells you what you want to hear, but somebody who you click with, right. who you feel is, cares about you. Um, and who makes it about you and not them. Mm -hmm. Good therapy is not boundary crossing and the person talking about themselves a lot. If I ever talk about myself in the therapy room, it's in service of the person I'm sitting with. Um, and and that is very purposeful and and thoughtful. Um, um, those are very purposeful and thoughtful moments. If you're sitting in a room with somebody who's talking a lot about themselves and you feel like they're taking up a lot of space, it's because they are. Do you have any questions that you recommend people ask when they are going through that beginning process of seeing if it's a good fit? Are you licensed? <laughs> I would hope it's so. a good screening question. Is that real? <laughs> like, would people be like, I am a therapist and they're not? Not licensed? Sure. You can't be on uh, insurance um, panels uh, without being licensed. I guess I just mean, like, are people going to like, are people yeah. going to say that they're therapists and then they're not licensed? Like, that's a oh, I guess, absolutely. I guess I say that out loud and I'm literally hearing myself say that. And I'm like, of course they would, because mm-hmm. this is the world we live in. So, mm-hmm. wow. Okay. That's a great one. What else? Yes, if they're self-pay, they can absolutely, and they can be unlicensed. And, you know, of course the intention of licensing boards are to protect the consumer and, and, to it, to uh, mostly to it, you know, to that degree, they do. So that, I think that's a good question to ask. Um, I, you know, and I think that I think that's it. You know, funny enough, I think it's okay to ask your therapist questions, but I just think that you got to get a feel for it, you know, and like let them guide you in the process and see how you feel. Um, to me, that's just like that the the over self disclosure, the poor boundaries is just like a huge red flag. Yeah. Um, to to say no, no, thank you. And, you know, uh, cause it's supposed, it's not supposed to be about, it's not supposed to be about them. Right. When, when I'm the therapist in the room, it is not about me. Right. Um, I'm a human in the room because my humanity is the tool that helps me help people heal. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's, that's, you know, that's the extent of, of kind of my space in the room. When I'm sitting on the couch, it's about me. Right. That's when that's, that's, that's when it's about me, not no other time. So I just think that's just a big caution that I give to people because I hear, sometimes I hear things and I'm like, Oh God. What about, <laughs> but like, what about the fine line between mm. somebody who's going to push you? I mean, mm-hmm. not like give you advice and tell you to do things, but like somebody who's going to push you outside of the comfort zones and the way that you have been habitually thinking that might not be as like comfortable versus mm-hmm. somebody that you're like, I can kiki with them all day and I'm totally vibing, which might not necessarily get you out of old habits. What about that? Yeah. So, so to that end, I think it's a great question to ask. um, How do you measure improvement? How do you check? How do you know if, if I'm getting better? Mm. Um, And that question, that answer to that question will tell you a lot. Um, So some people um, will use objective measures to, to, um, you know, to, uh, check on, on improvement and change. Um, some people will be sure to have a, you know, a verbal understanding and agreement about what, what would be subjective measures of change. Um, if 
I think if you're not clear what change is being looked for by your therapist, that's, that's, that's not good. That's not good. You should know. Yeah. And you should agree. Mm. I guess. Yeah. I guess now that you say that, that would probably be, I think kind of the other kind of line of questioning that I would say. Um, yeah. Um, are there for those who say do have insurance, but also those who don't, are there particular resources? And if you don't have them Mm. offhand, then I could always just steal them from you and put them in the show notes. But do you have particular, you know, like there's different apps that people find therapists on or different institutions that have therapists on rosters? Like, are there certain organizations or companies or apps or whatever that you are like, these are actually really wonderful Mm. and, and you trust them? Yeah, a few. Um, one is just for a general search. If you're looking for, uh, you know, for a particular specialty is actually psychology today has a really great, um, search engine. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you can look by specialty. Um, and, and that's very, very helpful. Uh, and, and it's very, they, they have, they have a huge database. Um, you know, free, free therapy is very hard to find. Um, there's just not a lot of resources. There's like these tiny little pockets. And so mm-hmm. I just don't know. I just don't know them because they're very local also. Um, so, you know, that that's that's a little tougher when we're talking, you know, people who need access to, to mental health services who can't, who, who, who don't have the financial means for it and don't have mm-hmm. the, the health insurance and or don't have the health insurance. Um, and, uh, I will say this caution also to, to the trans community, um, who, you know, when looking for therapists, uh, here's a little inside baseball piece of information. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of therapists will put that they, uh, they specialize in gender identity and in LGBTQ, um, issues. And they're trying to say, um, I am, you know, uh, basically like they're, not that they're even an, an active ally, but just like, I'm okay with, I'm okay with gay people, you know? Oh God, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I think they're, that's what they're trying to say. Um, and there are other ways to say that. And it's just become really kind of the norm in the, in the industry, unfortunately, um, trying to do my best locally to change that. But uh, for, for specifically for folks who are under the trans umbrella, um, ask this question, of your therapist, if they have gender identity as a specialty, do you write letters for gender affirming medical care? Mm. If, if they don't, then they really don't specialize. If they don't feel comfortable with that and competent and they don't do that regularly, then, um, then they're, then they're, they're not the person for you. Oh, I love that yeah. question to ask. Thank you for that. That's yeah. And one other inside baseball, yes, because yes. <laughs> you wouldn't know because, like, it says no. it right there. Oh, this person specializes in gender identity. Um, trying to change that in my in my practice uh, as well. Um, even just you know, kind of in, inside the house. Um, uh, that's I, I think it's a very big disservice to people because they will come and you know at some point need a letter of support for you know uh for example like uh gender affirming uh, top surgery and then the therapist is like well i don't feel comfortable writing that letter mm-hmm. now you've created another obstacle when there are already so many obstacles yeah. and so much gatekeeping um the other resource i i i could say um is a little more specific um but um one that i think is fantastic is darkness the darkness rising project carlita you know? yeah yeah, yeah. Carlita's, <laughs> carlita's- 
going to be a guest on your we'll- Oh, fantastic. Yes. Oh, so listen to that episode because you'll hear all about it, but it's um, uh, a, uh, a network or um, a, a, a way to connect. They will connect you with a black therapist. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as, I think as, um, as a clinician, in addition to just as a human and as a Jew, um, but, you know, certainly as a clinician that, um, being concerned about the, the, and caring about and doing something about the impact of, uh, of the generational trauma that we have caused, um, to our black siblings, um, is part and parcel or is just absolutely consistent with what it means to be a therapist, right? Because we have caused so much trauma and harm. Um, and, you know, she is creating, you know, this, this really, really great resource. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and I love what she's doing. Yeah, no, she's she's also been with the AC forever, and she's literally brilliant. Um, yeah. Darkness Rising project, y'all. But we're mm-hmm. gonna have an episode about that too. So yeah. Oh no, we're on it. Trust me. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I guess my my as we wrap our time, is there anything that you feel? I have like one more question, but is there anything specifically that you feel is like on your heart about these topics that we've thus far talked about that you wanted to share? You know, the thing that just has been really present for me recently, and I mean like past couple of years, has been listening. Um, oof. I feel like sometimes, especially as allies, not as the people who have been harmed, but as allies, that we yell down at people who don't yet understand how to, they're not there yet, right? They use the wrong language um, or they ask a question that is naive and we yell at them as like a show of our our knowledge. And like, we're all, we've all done it, you know? But then that we've, we have just closed that person's ears. Um, again, especially as allies, I don't, I do not uh, uh, fault anybody who has been harmed for being angry and expressing that anger as allies. How do we invite people in? Because again, being concerned about the mental health of our entire community um, really matters, you know? And if we're saying, well, I care that, I care that, you know, my black siblings over here are, are, you know, continuing to be harmed and traumatized by systemic racism. And I'm gonna yell at this, um, you know, this fellow white person for not understanding um, when it really helps more to speak up and to invite in to help to help the cause. Um, you don't have a right to that anger. <laughs> you know, so that doesn't belong to us. Um, let people say it in a way that people can hear you so that you they can come along. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that I just that 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 is on my heart and mind uh, yeah. a lot recently. Yeah, the especially now that you know it's a buzz phrase, but like a cancel culture is so amongst us of you know, we close somebody off as opposed to inviting them in for conversation and education and conversation around um, things that we all could probably learn more about. <laughs> yeah. And um, I was not that, that naive once too. Oh, yeah. Right? And if somebody, if I had only been yelled down at, it would be very hard to to open my ears. Right. Um, people have invited me in. So I need to extend that grace to somebody mm-hmm. else. And right, cancel culture, right? Like if somebody is, is, uh, what's the term? If they are unapologetic, right, and, and they are actively causing harm, and and they are uh, 
and they are malicious, mm -hmm. I'm okay with like not buying a Harry Potter book because J.K. Rowling is a turf. I am mm -hmm. absolutely okay with that. Now, if somebody that I know misgenders somebody, I'm not going to cancel them. I'm going to speak up with my trans siblings and say that you might not have been aware, but that person's uh, pronouns are they, them. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. invite, invite in, right? That's, that's so different to me. It's like we've just uh, created this, this blunt instrument, <laughs> you know, that is just, you only need the hammer when they're, when I, I think, this is just what I think. You only need the hammer when, they're, when, when, you know, in, in few circumstances, J.K. Rowling used the hammer. You know, mm -hmm. other people. I, I think. I think we have to have to use gentler tools. Yeah. Um, I guess for anybody listening, where can people find you or communicate with you in respectful, kind, boundaryful <laughs> spaces? What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, you, you can definitely, uh, my DMs are open, um, Instagram, um, I'm at the Dr. Drama. So T H E D R D R A M A, uh, same on Twitter. Um, and also my website, um, drdrama.com. I have a way to email me on there. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, and I always respond. Um, I will, I will always respond. Um, I mean, I guess unless somebody was like just coming at me with hatred, yeah. <laughs> I would just, I wouldn't, but that usually doesn't happen. Um, uh, and, you know, if people need help connecting to resources, I will do the best I can to share that. Like I said, uh, got to give it away to keep it. Yeah. Well, y'all, Dr. Hurwitz is in uh, your circle of support and uh, she means it when she says she it. Does. So I'm so grateful that you, uh, I mean, this topic is hard and heavy and overwhelming and all of those feelings. And so I'm so grateful that you are so open to talking about it in this capacity and have shared such wonderful resources and ways to think about it and such beautiful language around it that I know I'm going to listen back to this and be like, I'm taking that for myself. <laughs> thank you. Um, so truly thank you for your time and thank you for always being um, so willing to be included in uh, the work that we're doing with EAC. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for asking me. This was uh, a super easy yes, as I said to you. <laughs> Thank you. I hope that this episode was helpful for you, if nothing else, but to remind you that you are not alone and that Dr. Elisa Hurwitz is in your circle of support. I have linked in the show notes all the sites that were mentioned in the episode in case you need to take a second look. And please know that this is just the beginning of the conversation around this particular topic here on this podcast. Now, if you liked this episode, please go to your favorite podcast streaming spot, rate us, like us, follow us, little bell notification, and more importantly, review us. It allows us to be found by other artists who can use this as a resource. If you didn't like it, just skip this step and perhaps come to the next episode if that might inspire you more. These come out weekly. Tune in, invite a friend so you can listen and discuss together because that's just always more fun. And if you have not yet done so, follow us on Instagram at Empowered Artists Collective, on TikTok at Empower Artist Collective, and on our website at EmpoweredArtistCollective.com. I'm Jennifer Apple, and I so look forward to having you back here at the Empowered Artists Collective podcast next week. Until then.